Nobody else gets holy, holy, holy. None of us get that. None of us get to put on our resume, holy, holy, holy. Nobody gets to put on a flag out in your front yard. The Welshes are holy, holy, holy. It's just God. Only God gets to be holy, holy, holy. Thank you, choir, for a great reminder of who we are worshiping today. Hey, thanks for being so kind to our family. We're just having a great weekend. It has been a wonderful time to be here and spend some time with you. Um, there's been some laughs. There's been some absolutely crazy stories that I will repeat later in public to other people. Uh, so thank you uh, just for being so kind to us. I know uh, I shared with some of the folks last night that this has been fun for a few months and then it got even more fun, but I think Friday night it just got exciting. Partly because of my ability and God's grace to let me see just the love of Christ in your church. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, my joke to Karen was as soon as I got in the car after the first time I met the search committee, I got in and, and I called her and we were out near Columbiana, and I got on the interstate and started heading back, and I called Karen. She said, well, how'd it go? I said, man, they were nice. <laughs> and she said, really? I said, yeah, they, they were nice to the people who worked at the restaurant. They, they weren't just nice to me. They were just nice. And everybody's been nice. And listen, that is not a small thing. We do not live in a nice world. So if there is anybody that should be in Bojangles and Arby's and in the department store looking for khakis, being nice to people, it is followers of Jesus. And so thank you for being nice. And thank you for the privilege of spending this weekend with you. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We'll be looking this morning at just verses 66 through 68. John 6, verses 66 through 68. But before we do that, let's spend a moment asking for God's grace as we hear and listen to His Word. Father, we thank You for the power and authority of what we have heard sung, that there is no one who even remotely compares to You that is a tremendous thrill for us to have this morning. That we are not here to be religious today. We are not here wasting our time. We have come to enjoy and be filled up and be healed and encouraged by the one true living God. So we thank you for that. And we ask that as we look now into the Scriptures that you would use them to help us to see that there is no one like your son. There is nobody like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Do you want a better life? Oh, come on, Lucas. I knew this was going to happen. I'm on, man. It's on. Power on. Look at that. Turn it off and on. No, oh. you have to turn it on and wait till that thing goes all 
Got it. That guy, he's not just the interim, he's a technology master. <laughs> I called Ken the other day. I said, hey, Ken, is there a clicker? He goes, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a remote. I knew I was going to mess the remote up. Do you want a better life? Do you want a better life in five minutes or less? Well, if so, i got good news for you. There is a double-decker buffet of products out there to make your life better in five minutes or less. Having trouble figuring out what to put on the table for the family for dinner? No problem. Chef Rocco Despirito has a book just for you, and it's entitled this, Rocco's Five-Minute Flavor. Fabulous meals with five ingredients in five minutes. You're covered. You got it. Do you have chronic bedhead in the morning? I mean, your, your hair just is awful when you wake up, and there's nothing that's going to help. I got hope for you. There are at least eight products that will promise to get your hair from tangled to terrific in five minutes or less. Have your teeth been swimming in Lake Cappuccino a little too long? <laughs> do you need some help with those teeth? No problem. All you need to do is, is go to one of the 75 locations of CVS or Walgreens within 100 yards of your house. Just pick one of them, go inside, and there's some product in there that will help your teeth get pearly white in five minutes or less. And that's just products. There's also tip after tip after tip out there of things that will improve your life in 300 seconds or less. Here's just a few that I found. One, make your bed. Jennifer Soong says this, it's a small ritual that can help create a calm environment for you in your bedroom. And a soothing bedroom is part of sleep hygiene. Did you know there was such a thing as sleep hygiene? I'm intimidated by those two words. Do I have good sleep hygiene? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be good dental hygiene for my dentist, but sleep hygiene, who do I talk to about that? What about this one? Turn off your electronics. That's a given, right? Soon writes this. Staring at a computer screen and electronics all day long can zap your energy and actually encourage in activity. Just because the world is on 24-7, you don't have to be. It's true, isn't it? We all need a break, even just for your eyes. We all need a break. What about this one? Sniff a lemon. I mean, that ain't even need commentary, right? You want to improve your life in five minutes left? Go down to the grocery store, hang out in the produce department, just sniff lemons. Now, you might get arrested doing that. I don't know. It may not improve your life the way you think, but there's some kind of medical terminology that says that sniffing a lemon will improve your life. But this is my favorite one. Rearrange your bat cave. How in the world do you rearrange your bat cave? What does that mean? Well, it's about creating different habits. Steve Cam puts it this way. Do you want to exercise more? Then sleep in your workout clothes. I'm pretty sure I heard my, one of my kids say, you know what, when I got home last night, I'm just going to sleep in this tonight, so I'll be ready to go tomorrow. <laughs> sleep in your workout clothes if you want to exercise more. Do you want to watch less TV? 
I'm so sorry, Lynn. Cancel your cable. I'm quoting. I'm quoting. It's, it's not me. But the second part is great. This is what he writes. Or unplug your TV so that you have to get up and plug it in every time you want to watch it. That sounds like torture, doesn't it? I mean, I just like this remote. I can't imagine cutting everything off at home and having to plug it back up. And then one more. He says, do you want to floss more? Unwind some floss, put it on the counter next to the sink, and only floss one tooth. Now, I think what he means is start with one tooth and then work your way up to the rest of them because otherwise, eventually, your bowling league shirt will just have snaggles stitched across the front chest. But what if we weren't talking about improving your life in five minutes or less? What if we were talking about defining your life in five minutes or less? Or maybe put another way, what if you only had five minutes left to live? Just let that sink in for a second. What if you only had five minutes left to live? What would you do? What would you say? Who would you want to be with? Who would you want to see? Where would you want to be? One day Jesus was talking to his closest friends. And he asked them a question that's kind of like this. He asked them one of those defining questions of life. It was very similar to what if you only had five minutes left to live, but it's a little bit different. And what was that question that he asked? Let's find out. Look with me at John 6, beginning with verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and they were not walking with him anymore. If John 6 were a book with 71 chapters, we just started on chapter 66. If it was a movie, we just went to menu scene selection and we went to scene 66. So I want to quickly catch us up with the first 65 scenes and the first 65 verses. What we have here at the beginning of John 6 is Jesus becoming a celebrity in the religious world. I mean, he was becoming a rock star in the religious world. He had more than 5,000 people following after him. They loved being around Jesus. He was healing people. He was performing miracles, and they loved it. And so now we've made it to the end of the book, the end of the movie almost. And so after 65 scenes, after 65 chapters, where do we find the crowd now? What's the crowd like now? Well, in some ways, the 5,000 has now dropped to really about a dozen, 12. Where did the thousands go? Jesus had a mega church, and now he's got a, a church committee. What happened? Where did all the people go? How is it that Jesus went from being successful to what we would describe as a failure, right? I mean, we would describe it that way, right? You know, 5,000 people in the church going down to 12, we wouldn't describe that as success. So what happened? Well, Jesus had been teaching the people. And he was teaching some things that were a little hard for the people to hear. They were confused. They, they weren't quite clear on what Jesus was trying to get across. 
You see, Jesus was telling them that he came from heaven. But the people were like, wait a minute, this is the kid from down the street around the corner. This is Mary and Joseph's kid. What, what is he talking about that he came from heaven? Jesus was telling them things like, I am the bread of life. And they were thinking, no, he, you're, you're the carpenter. You're the guy that put in the kitchen cabinets at, at Bubba Ray's house down the street. What do you mean you're the bread of life? Jesus was saying things to them like, you know what, unless God draws you, you, you can't be saved. And the people were thinking, wait a minute, what about our good deeds? What about our good works? What about these nice things we are doing? Don't those count for anything? And then Jesus really took it over the edge. He, he started saying things like, if you're going to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. But what he was saying was, you've got to consider everything else secondary as compared to follow me, even, even food. But you know what the people thought? This guy's a vampire. This guy's a cannibal. He's crazy. Who is this man? They were confused. They didn't know what he was talking about. And it was difficult for them to hear. So why was Jesus talking like that? Why was Jesus using this, this strange language? Well, he didn't want anybody to be deceived. He didn't want anybody to be confused about what it meant to follow after him. He didn't want us to be confused about what it meant to follow him. See, following Jesus is not just joining the church. It's not just being baptized. It's not just tithing. It's not just serving as a deacon or serving on a committee or teaching a Sunday school lesson or even being a pastor. Those are aspects of being a Christian. But the very basic foundation of what it means to follow Jesus is to be completely and totally committed to Jesus. This is how he said it in his own words. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So the cross was an instrument of death. And so what Jesus is communicating is, if you're going to follow after me, you have to die. It's kind of extreme, isn't it, Jesus? I mean, if I follow after you, I have to die? What does that mean? Well, it means we have to die to self. What does that mean? Die to self? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, dying to self means that, that we start thinking things and living things that sound like this. I exist to bring attention to God and His gospel and His Son. I, I exist to make sure that Jesus is the most famous person in my home. That Jesus is the most famous person in my church, that Jesus is the most famous person in every area that I have influence. I'm here to make Jesus famous. That's part of what it means to die to self. Dying to self means that we do not think on a regular basis, hey, I'm here to get my way. Hey, I'm, I'm here because my idea is the best idea, and my agenda is the best agenda. That's what I'm about. Dying to self means you don't think like that. It's not the pattern of your life. Dying to self means I refuse to be in competition 
with the glory of God. But I will do all I can to make sure that God's name is made great. Vance Havner, in a story, put it this way. Some missionaries bound for Africa were laughed at by the captain on the ship. And what he told them was what? You'll only die over there on the mission field. To which one of the missionaries responded, Captain, we died before we got started. It's great. We died before we got on the ship. Our will, our agenda, our way, we had already tossed that aside. Because we've decided that Jesus is greater than anything and everything else. What Jesus is doing here is giving his PowerPoint presentation on what it means to follow him. And how did the thousands of people respond? Well, many of them quit following. They listened to Jesus. They heard what he said. They understood what he meant. But they didn't like it. It was difficult for them. In fact, it offended them. And you know why it offended them? It offended them because what Jesus was doing. This is what Jesus was doing. He was demanding allegiance. He was not giving them any points for their good works and their good deeds. He was demanding that they gave all to him. Let me see if I can make this a little more modernized for our minds. Does this mean that to follow after Jesus means that Jesus is demanding that you commit your entire life to him? Yes, that's what it means. Does this mean that following after Jesus means that Jesus is demanding that we commit our marriage and our children and our grandchildren to him? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. Does this mean that to follow after Jesus means that I have to commit my house and my car and, and my possessions to Jesus? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. Does this mean that following after Jesus means I have to take my education and my job, that I have to take my sports and my hobbies and my vacation and my recreation and my money and my retirement, that I have to take these things and I have to commit them to Jesus in such a way that none of them are the ultimate definition of my life. Yeah, that is exactly what Jesus is saying. Now, if we engage with those questions, if we really begin to think through those things that I just mentioned, you know what happens? If we are honest with ourselves, we're just like these people. We're offended. We, we're rubbed the wrong way way because we start realizing we start thinking wait a minute Jesus are you are you really saying what I think you're saying I mean don't you think you're overstepping your bounds just a little bit I mean Jesus I've worked hard for what I have my stuff is my stuff my time is is my time and you're asking for everything I don't know Jesus that that sounds a bit much but you know what? That's exactly what Jesus asked for. He, he asked for everything. In this moment, in this scene, Jesus is laying his cards all out on the table. And these thousands of people who have been following him are surrounding the table. They're looking at the cards. And they're going to have to do something. In the words of the famous philosopher, Kenneth D. Rogers, you've got to know when to hold them. You've got to know when to fold them. 
You got to know when to walk away, and you got to know when to run. And you know what? They looked at the cards and they walked away. It's too much. Jesus was demanding too much. John writes, he says, many of the disciples no longer followed Jesus. A disciple is a learner. And so these guys were saying, we don't want to learn from Jesus anymore. We don't want to learn from him. We, we don't like what he's teaching. We don't like what he's saying, so we're out of here. Now, at first, they liked Jesus. They loved Wonder Bread Jesus. Oh, that Jesus was great. You know, Wonder Bread Jesus, he, he took one little loaf of bread and he broke it up and thousands of people were fed. They loved Wonder Bread Jesus. But they weren't buying Jesus as the bread of life. I know a story about a man who moved into a town. The first thing he did the first week he was there was he went and joined the, the big Baptist church down on the corner in downtown. Said it was a good thing to do when you join the community, good thing to go join the church and be a part of the church. He went for a couple of Sundays and never went back except for the occasional Easter or Christmas service. He joined the church, but he didn't join the church. You see, there were many people who claimed to be followers of Jesus, many people who claimed to be his disciples, but at best, many of them were temporary disciples and not the real thing. And they really started wandering when the words got tough. Some of them left, but not all of them. Jesus' cards were on the table, and his closest friends were still around the table. And so he turns to them. And what does he say? Look at verses 67 and 68. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Now what we know about Peter is, he didn't always get everything right, did he? Peter had a few missteps here and there. But this time, he, he really nails it. Jesus, where are we going to go? Can you feel the, the thrust behind that statement? It, it's as if Peter's saying, look, we've looked. We've checked out some other things. We looked at some other religions. We've looked at some other philosophies. We've tried out some different views of science. We sent some money to the guy that was on TV. We've looked. We've looked in a lot of places. We looked at home. We looked to our family. We looked to our friends. We looked to our jobs and our money and our, our hobbies. and our. We've looked, Jesus. And every place that we looked, we have come up short. It hasn't been enough. And then you can almost hear the emotion, the, the cracking in Peter's voice. You have the words of life. You have the words of life. Jesus, we've never met anybody like you. We've never seen anyone like you. We've never heard anyone like you. Jesus, you are strong, and yet you are 
gentle. You are humble, but you call out people's sin with authority. You use simple words, and yet you are brilliant. Jesus, we, we can't explain you, and yet all we want to talk about is you. Jesus, your, your love is better than life. That's what Peter responds. Now, he's not saying that on his own. Peter's talking for all the disciples here. And notice what Peter does not say here. Peter doesn't say, you know what? Ever since we've started following you, Jesus, I'm, I'm amazed with how fun life is. Man, we always have money in the bank. Man, our marriages are perfect. I never argue with my wife anymore, Jesus. My kids are great. They're making straight A's, and, and they're in all these extracurricular activities, and, and they've been accepted to 75 Ivy League schools, and oh, man, Jesus, is just great. My car never breaks down. I hadn't been sick for two years. Jesus, every day with you is perfect. He didn't say that. You know why? Because every day is not perfect by our definition of perfection. But you know what? There's an old song that has a very interesting line. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. It, it's not perfect. Everything doesn't work out. You know, your spouse doesn't suddenly become that wonderful, you know, TV sitcom spouse that does everything right and has a great joke every five seconds. But every day with Jesus is sweeter. You know why? Because of the cross. Loved the images flashing of the cross. We should have a church picnic at the one up at the mountains. Did you see that one? Man, we should just take retreats there every week. Can you imagine getting up on that mountain, there's just this one cross, and you just see majesty? I'm pretty sure I would forget about my bills, at least for a moment. But Peter says, Jesus, where would we turn? You have the words of life, and don't miss this. He's saying this before the cross. He's saying this before the cross. The cross hasn't happened. Peter and the disciples have caught a glimpse of Jesus and it has become so compelling and so constraining that he believes what he is saying without a shadow of a doubt. These things happen before Jesus gave himself up for your sin and my sin. These things happen before the tomb was empty, before Jesus conquered sin and death. Now, Peter didn't have it all figured out. None of the guys had it all figured out. And life wasn't perfect. But they had Jesus. They had Jesus. Ravi Zacharias says this, I came to Christ because I am convinced of the absolute truth of His message. Not just that what I believe sounds nice or even that it works, but that it is real. See, I, I believe we are living in a culture where if it sounds nice at church, it must be good. But if it's not, Jesus is not. 
Our minds have been tuned to, well, if this will work, then it's got to be the gospel. Not always. But what makes Jesus, Jesus, is that Jesus is real. That's what Peter's saying. He says, Jesus, you're the the realest real we have ever known. Jesus, we understand this is not a fairy tale. But you are the Holy One of God. You are God's Son. Now let me see if I can take that and and put it on a, a pretty good paper plate right in front of each of us. A lot more practical than just these comments that Peter has. And I'll ask it this way. What if every person in this room really only had five minutes left to live? I mean, what if that were true? What if there really is only five minutes left to define who you are? One of my pastor buddies posted this quote a few weeks ago, and it grabbed my attention. If you have wasted your whole life and you have five minutes left, you can live them to the glory of Christ. If you've only got five minutes left and you've wasted your whole life on whatever you want to fill that blank in with, you can take those five minutes that are left and live them for the glory of Christ. And listen, living for the glory of Christ is the most satisfying thing in the universe. Living for the glory of Jesus touches your soul like nothing else you've ever seen. What do you value most? What do you treasure most? If it's not Jesus, you will come up short. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually, if what you value and treasure most is not Jesus, you'll come up short. You know why? Wives, Your husbands cannot meet the deepest need of your soul. Husbands, your wives cannot meet the deepest need of your soul. Your children can't do it. Your grandchildren can't do it. Your pastor can't do it. The church can't do it. Your favorite sports team can't do it. Your money can't do it. Your retirement can't do it. Your vacation can't do it. Your job can't do it. There's absolutely nothing that can touch the deepest need of your soul in this world but Jesus. And he can. See, that's what Peter was saying. He he had come to this point, and, and the other guys, they had come to this point that they knew Jesus wasn't just a good rabbi and a good pastor and a and a good presenter of a sermon. This guy was the Holy One of God. That had captured their hearts. See, Jesus wasn't just some nice guy who did nice things for people and and said some nice things and had a really cool story about how he was born. No, Jesus is the Holy One of God. Jesus is the, the one true Savior. He's the Redeemer who has conquered death. Jesus is the greatest treasure in the universe. In the universe. And that's why when he is challenged with this question, you guys want to leave too? Do y'all want to fold up, run away too? 
Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? To whom are we going to go? You are the treasure of all treasures. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ your greatest treasure? Is Jesus Christ your greatest and most valuable and most ultimate treasure? If He is, then I want to encourage you to live for His glory with all the five minutes that you have left. And here's why. If Jesus is your greatest treasure, when you get to those last five minutes, when they've passed, Jesus then will be your treasure forever. Jesus then will be your satisfaction forever. Jesus then will be an eternal definition of love that overwhelms you forever. And so why would we not make Him our greatest treasure today?